When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Over the past few months, businesses, especially small businesses, have faced a lot of proverbial lemons, but the power of pivoting has become clearer than ever. We're here to share stories from PayPal merchants who have pivoted their businesses during COVID-19, innovating their way through uncertain and strenuous times. Welcome to The Adaptables. Welcome back, everyone. As you know, I'm your host, Sarah Davidson, and I'm delighted to have two guests with us today from two amazing businesses, Myrna from Crumpets by Myrna and Pierre from Pepe Sayer. Both adored by foodies far and wide in their own right for their handmade sourdough crumpets and rich cultured butter, respectively, these two businesses have pivoted in the form of a partnership. They've joined forces to create the ultimate self-isolation breakfast box to be delivered to customers' doorsteps. And it's been so popular that they've been developing their breakfast box range, letting the innovative juices flow. But before we get started, as you all know, we've got a little icebreaker to kick off. Pierre and Myrna, welcome. And what is the biggest assumption you each had about going into business that got busted as soon as you started? Myrna, let's maybe start with you. I think it was that success was going to happen overnight and that definitely wasn't the case. (laughs) It's rude, isn't it, how long it takes? (laughs) Yes, very rude. But it was all worth it. I must say. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Peppy? Uh, look, the grass is definitely greener. And the idea that people go into business and they don't have a boss or they're going to work the hours they want. You get a lot of people. I meet a lot of people like that. You know, I want to be my own boss and I want to do the hours I want to do. You'll never work harder than having your own business. You will never work harder. The stress levels will not be harder. And And going into it, I did think the stress levels will be lower Mm. and they are so much higher you know this pandemic is a perfect example if you're working in a company and you lose your job yeah there's stress but when you're in a pandemic as an example and you might lose the business but then you've got 20 other people and their families that might lose jobs so the stress levels are multiplied Mm. by responsibility Absolutely. It's so interesting. I was corporate before I went into business and I definitely, particularly going into a wellness-based business, thought I'm going to go to yoga on a Tuesday morning. Like this is going to be so relaxed. I'm going to be my own boss. And it was a rude awakening. I'll be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, yeah, you do get time. You go out and meet a customer or a friend and you have a coffee during the day, but then you're up till 10 o'clock on emails Mm. and paperwork and everything else. Even as your business gets bigger, you still need to do a lot of that sort of stuff so yeah the grass is much greener as Myrna said if you're a success yeah and that takes a long time yeah it is incredibly uh, I would say much much more rewarding than at least you know when you're working those long hours at least they're all for your own benefit but there are definitely moments where I think god I did not appreciate annual leave when I had it nope sick days you know don't even know what they are anymore yeah exactly exactly (laughs) so gosh I mean you both have come so far since those very early much more naive days let's start with the story of how you actually got started what the beginnings were and the whole journey to grow your businesses to the amazing successes that they are today did you both have you know a background in food or did you come into it I know Myrna you know, baking was part of your childhood, but Pierre, you never thought you'd become a butter maker. So tell us how you guys both got into the businesses you're in and how you grew them. 
Well, um, for me, I'm a chef by trade. So my food journey started when I was quite little, you know, from home, my, both my parents were foodies and it was something that they were really passionate about. And, and I think my whole food journey started from, you know, obviously from my upbringing and then I became a chef, worked in many restaurants in Sydney and overseas. And then I just decided one day that I just needed to do something a little bit different, different hours. Mm-hmm. I wanted a life basically. So I changed my profession and became, a, you know, I started making desserts actually. So I started making desserts and selling them retail and, and wholesale. And that's, that's how it started for me. And then obviously the crumpet, I'm doing crump, making crumpets now. So that's where I am. You're absolutely bringing back the humble crumpet. What made you zero in on a crumpet of all things? Was it just something you were really good at? Oh, the crumpet? <laughs> no, not at all. It took me like three months to, to perfect. But um, it was, again, going back to my childhood and my upbringing, we grew up eating crumpets. Mm. And I was on a plane back from San Francisco in 2017, I think it was. And I was just sitting there thinking, what am I going to make when I get back? What am I going to do? And I thought, I've got to bring back the crumpet. That's what I've got to do. <laughs> you know, because I loved, I loved eating crumpets growing up and I hadn't eaten them for so many years because, you know, you couldn't get a good crumpet. So, you know, I made it my mission and I brought the crumpet back and I love it. I love it too. I feel like it had a big hiatus where you just, you know, it was sort of our early childhoods and then it just disappeared off the face of the earth and then it just came back like the most true thing to have for breakfast. Congratulations, Myrna. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. It's been a pleasure bringing it back, actually. I called it my science project because it took me three months to to work it all out and, and, and get the perfect uh, recipe. So it was a very uh, interesting time. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think people really underestimate the science that goes into food. We have a a vegan cafe, Matcha Milk Bar in Melbourne, that has a vegan egg. And, I mean, when it's put on the plate, people love it and it's exciting, but they forget that it is kind of a bit like a chemistry lab, like putting all the things together to get the texture and and everything. What about you, Pierre? I heard that you never thought you'd become a butter maker. Oh, my God. Husband and wife team with Melissa. (laughs) How did you even get into it? Well... We were, we originally had a, had a staffing agency for hospitality staff and then the GFC hit. So in 2008, and basically the whole business sort of crumbled because if you remember the first thing people cut was labor and the casual staffing agencies and recruitment. So we found ourselves in a bit of a predicament again, you know, like we lived through that one and now we're into this one. And I thought we've got to go into food. You've got to make go into something you love so for me food was always you know growing up how I did food was the cornerstone of our life really so we got into food in 2008 and then through experimentation we found a a niche in in butter in Australia because all the chefs were using or buying imported butter so we thought wow there's there's a massive opportunity here for someone to make really good tasting butter and for the community to be proud of an Australian butter rather than saying it tastes like salt and water, you know? (laughs) So, because that's the feedback we were getting from everyone that Australian butter tastes like salt and water. So we're serving imported butter at our restaurants. So we thought, well, there you go. There's a massive opportunity. So that's how we sort of got into it. 
Um, I love that both of you have really chosen something quite specific and niche. And I think people get this idea that you have to start big and you have to have a full range of SKUs to even make noise in the market. But actually, sometimes if you really refine your focus and just pick one thing and do it really, really well, you make a name for yourself and then you can choose to expand after that when you've done all the brand building. I I love that. And I actually lived in Paris on exchange in 2010 and had left Australia thinking there's this huge gaping hole for good French quality, like European level butter, came home and was like, someone out in the universe who turned out to be Pierre and Melissa have closed the gap. This is amazing. (laughs) I mean, when you're in Paris, like you go to La Bon Marche or something like that, and and you have a look at their butter wall. They just have a butter wall. It's just massive. And here they've got maybe one Australian butter and the rest are imported. Mm. But it's so cool that you guys are are really leading the charge. What would you say, looking back, was one of the coolest moments where you've really gone, you've built this up from nothing, from total scratch, and you've seen it actually take on a life of its own and become a business in its own right? What was the mo- one of those moments where you were just like, oh, this is so surreal? I, I think that uh, for me, getting the butter onto Qantas yes. was the defining moment in knowing that, okay, we, yes, we have a product, yes we're making a beautiful tasting product. But finally, it's sort of like the Australian psyche, you know, when it comes to Qantas, we all own Qantas. That's yeah. what we think. <laughs> totally. So to have it on our airline, if I can say that, yeah, that was that was definitely the defining moment because from that point, it snowballed. Mm. It ended up being a very serious product in the market. Yeah. What about you, Myrna? Um, I think it was probably the same when Qantas you know, approached us for the crumpets. I think that was like winning the lottery sort of thing, knowing that, okay, we're doing something right and we've got these guys behind us supporting us. You know, I couldn't have asked for more. That is absolutely incredible that you both built up from just starting out to then Qantas of all businesses to recognise you would feel just absolutely incredible in terms of validation and like a real point of success. And it's interesting that I read both of you had stalls at Carriageworks and really started with a lot more sort of physical venues and airlines. Pre-COVID, did you guys get to a point where you integrated online into your business and what was the split originally between online and physical trade did was it something you thought about before then um yeah we were we had an online presence about 18 months prior we never really pushed it too much I think we were just busy with our other work that was coming in through food service and that sort of thing so yeah it was there it was always available but uh nothing like what happened during COVID you know when we gave it our all to make it work and, you know, we, we put everything into it. Mm. Yeah, so Peppy Sayer, we set up our online five years ago. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so the reason we did that is because being a niche product and only stocked, say, in delis and, you know, certain stores, we found that a lot of people around Australia wanted to try the butter but couldn't access it. So we set up the Peppy Sayer online store and then we were shipping out. We were probably doing about, what, 25 packs a week, at most, I think the the most we've ever done online would be about 70 packs in one week. And for us, that was like, wow, look at this. <laughs> this is amazing. And it was, and it is, it is amazing because, you know, like 
the markets we service, uh, say Carriage Works, Orange Grove, North Sydney, Warrywood, in Sydney. So we don't really have a presence outside of Sydney at the farmers markets. Mm. But outside of that, we don't really have a, a direct connection to our customer. So our first online store, we decided to go with Farmhouse. And then once that started working, we, we were in the middle of setting up our own. So that was like five, five years ago or so. So, yeah. And for both of you, was that when you became PayPal merchants right in the beginning when you were setting up that infrastructure? And in that process, what made you choose trusted platforms like PayPal to bring the online store to life? Well, when we first set up our first online store, it was with Farmhouse and I think you were the same, right? Yes, that's right. And when we set up with Farmhouse, you had to connect through PayPal. Then once we set up PayPal and got that working and we were already using that and it was really amazing to use, like it was very easy to use. Then when we set up our own platform online, then we just integrated PayPal into that because it was so easy to use and it was proven that it works. Mm. Were you guys both the same? You both started on Farmhouse and then yeah, um, that's moved right. your own online store? Yeah, I started on Farmhouse and because we'd been using it on Farmhouse and we saw it was easy and we were familiar with it, we just continued. Is Farmhouse like an Etsy for boutique foods, like a, a marketplace? Yeah, it's, yeah. A mar- it's a marketplace, isn't it? It's yeah. like you have to be ah, a you have to- member. Well, you have to, well, their, their shoppers have to be members, but for yeah. you to have a stall on there, it's almost like a carriage works market, but online, like you have to fit the criteria of, of going, okay, you're Australian, you, you've got a, you know, an artisan product and they put it up and then you can buy it. So they prefer that you use PayPal which is how you get introduced to something, right? So, so once we got introduced to it and it was so easy, we just integrated it to every other platform. But a lot of customers prefer that way. Of yeah, because it's secure as well. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it is such an easy system to integrate in when you actually do kind of spin off your own online store and carry that, that customer trust with you. Yeah. And you both mentioned that before COVID, it wasn't, it existed, but it wasn't as big of a focus. So maybe let's talk through what your businesses have gone through since the outbreak of COVID-19 and the pressures you've had to face with re-strategizing. A lot of businesses have, you know, temporarily shut down or changed their offerings completely to stay afloat. What are some of the things in those first weeks after the outbreak that you guys faced? I imagine like the conscious contracts all kind of Stopping when there were no flights, the emotional response, communicating with your staff, overheads, insurance. What did you guys experience uh, as your as your big pressures? From from Pepe Sayer point of view, our business was about twenty eighty. So we were eighty percent food service. So food service meaning we supplied to restaurants, cafes, airlines, function centers, hotels. And don't forget bakeries. And 20% of the business was about farmers markets, online and retail offering. So what happened in in a sense with as soon as COVID hit, and I think for us, it hit us around the 24th of March. My birthday. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, guys. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. So 24th of March was a horrible day for us, Sarah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for bringing that up. But I remember the 24th, it was like all orders were cancelled. Everything was like everyone was in a panic. We were just dumbfounded. Oh, it's it's shut down. And what was it? We were going home, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like everyone was ready to go home. So We had stock everywhere and, and no one wanted it, basically. Yeah, That's basically. what happened. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyone who's, whose customers were hospitality-based just instantly went from normal volume, normal volume, closed. Yeah. Just so shocking. But, but I must say we were very prepared for COVID. Like psychologically, we knew it was coming. We knew we were going to be in shutdown. We just didn't know what that shutdown would look like because you didn't know whether they were going to shut the cafes, shut the restaurant. What were they going to do? Because they started off with, you know, you had to have four metre apart tables and they started off with very gently, gently. And then it was sort of just gone. Everyone just shut down. It just went into absolute free dive, didn't it? Mm. And I think managing that uncertainty. I mean, there's always a, a, a given level of uncertainty in business anyway. So we're sort of have a little bit of a head start compared to people who have quite a stable functional job. But when it hits this level of literally uncertainty from day to day, it's very, very hard to adjust. Yep. So emotionally, how did you guys deal with that? And how did you help your staff and stakeholders deal with that? How did you communicate with them as your plans were changing? Like it's it's a very, very fast period to have to navigate that level of change. Yeah, everyone was in a panic. All our staff were in a panic because they thought they were going to lose their jobs. Our manager came up and said, oh, I'm happy to take a pay cut. And like there's so many things, so many beautiful things as well that happened, you know, like that was one of them. And, you know, like people coming together and a lot of the staff that work for us, not all of them, but some of them are students on student visas because they work casually. Mm -hmm. So they were going to get nothing from the government and there was all this, you know, how can we support our staff? And I remember we had our accountant in working out, okay, what's worst case scenario if we shut it down and just have to pay part of the lease and how many staff can we pay? And like, there was all that going on. So it was crazy times because it was so uncertain those first week, you know, Mm. but then it just all turned around. It just all just went, wow, what did we say? Let's do the pack. Yeah, let's do the survival pack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do you guys think that 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 came about because you had turned to each other to talk through how stressful it was? Like I think a lot of business people had been sort of just turning to each other to grab and be like, ah, oh, my God, what's happening? Were you guys already working closely together? I mean, I think you're you're physically next to each other right now. So had you been working already in close quarters like that? Yeah, yes, we we do. We're in the same factory. So that made it a lot easier as well. But I think the fact that we could share the stress also of the unknown, Mm. being to a lot of other business owners as well that had the same concern. You know, people just wanted to find out what you were doing so they could do it or just some sort of advice, really. So I think everyone rallying together and trying to get through it, you know. Yeah, and we had a big group meeting on the Tuesday, so the 25th, I think it was. What came out of the team all coming together is that, yeah, we just need to put something together that people could eat at home, but also really give it everything we had Mm. to get it out there. And I've never seen the team pull together like they did. It was absolutely incredible. It really was. Yeah. Talk us through that first stage of the shift from panic to action, because I think that's the bit where the, you know, the magic happens, but a lot of people sit in the panic for so long and wonder how do I actually get out of it? Like how do I shift my mindset into the pivot? It'll happen eventually, but I think it it sounds like you guys did it in like 24 hours, which is amazing. Yeah, it was a one-day panic, I must say, because first we were trying to, on the first day it happened, we were trying to 
cancel orders. We were so busy trying to get everything together and cancel this and cancel that. And then obviously we buy a lot of cream from farms. So we had to cancel all of that. And, you know, so the first day was like that. And then the next day we, we brought it together really well. Well, the whole team brought it together really well. Yeah. And then we decided that, look, retail and online is where it's at. And we need to really push people towards our online platforms so we can deliver something, basically deliver them an, an experience. Mm. And, at home. Yeah, at home. <laughs> yeah. And who came up with the idea to collaborate, like to physically join forces on the product? Well, what goes better with a crumpet? Butter. What- yeah, obviously. Yes. And then and then it's what we no thought. Absolutely. And it was like, well, we've got the crumpet, we've got the butter, and we had a lemon curd. And then we started going, oh, what about honey? And we could do these packs. And yeah, yeah, we'll put them out. And people love them. So we put them out. And then as soon as we put them out, it was like magic. People love them. So yeah. I, it didn't come without its difficulties, right? <laughs> so, oh, my God. Like, so, for example, we went from what? Say we were doing 25 boxes a week of just product to what? Our biggest week was 1,300, I think. <gasps> packs in a week, but you, we didn't have boxes. We didn't have crumpets <laughs> packed. We didn't have butter made, like, you yeah. know, because you were, you were guesstimating 300. So there's a big difference between 300 boxes, like boxes that can handle being transported with ice in them. So, so just a normal boxes, yeah, sure, it's easy to go buy. But try to go buy 1,300 styros. Yeah. When everyone's know. trying to go, everyone's got taken their business online as well. So there's, there was a real demand for styros at the time. Yeah, totally. But you know what is my favourite thing to reflect on and the most interesting part of this whole thing is how if you guys had tried to do this outside of ISO, you probably would have spent months and months and months trying to get the right thing. But it just proves to you that you can actually get stuff together you can get a a minimum viable sellable product together in 24 hours if you really needed to yeah and and what we did is we we knew that we were going to have complications we knew that look there are some orders we're going to stuff up and we just put a policy together anyone that complains refund replace that's how it was you you have to at the end of the day you have to look after the customer and and we made it a policy from that original meeting like look guys sending stuff interstate and and oh my god and what happened with australia post (laughs) they went and sent half their staff home for isolation and they couldn't get anything anywhere so we had this policy of replace and refund oh my god we replaced and refunded like over 250 orders and australia post were going to us no no there's no problem but but what they failed to tell us is that or what we failed to understand, I guess, not what they failed to tell us, is that all the flights were cancelled, right? So they couldn't get freight down to Melbourne or Brisbane. Express Post. Express Post. Yeah. And, uh, and we only found that out like four weeks later. So the dramas that were there were pretty big dramas. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's little old Sarah waiting for her Pepe Sayer delivery, like, hello, I ordered an Express Post. Come on. And they've just cancelled all flights to Melbourne now. Like, there's hardly any flights to Melbourne. So so that cuts out the ability to transport goods by by air freight. Because when you, mm. when you think about it, Qantas went from 50 flights a day down to five. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you get your product there? Oh, it's got to go by car or by you know, not by car, by, by 
you know, truck or transport. So it's very different. I think one of the things I love about having moved our physical venue a lot online as well, but also having already had a business that was mostly online and communicating digitally was that it's a little bit like having a permanent plan B because those platforms like PayPal, for example, when your volume increases exponentially, it can cope with it because it's already mm-hmm. there. And I love that the digital environment's a little bit kind of quarantined from the people problems that are going, well, people yeah. struggle to adjust, your infrastructure doesn't necessarily. So how did you guys find the actual online store increasing in volume so much? How did you find you know, PayPal's role in that digital pivot and all of that unwind? Was that part more smooth for you as you went from such a small percentage of online to like such a big percentage of your business, if not 100% of it suddenly? Well, the, the biggest issue was, so when you get an order and they're paying through, say, your website, and then you're using eParcel, you can't transfer that information over. You have to literally copy and paste everything on two screens And we didn't know there was like apps available to do that. So that was the drama. But I think PayPal, like it was a proven system that we used. So in a way, that's great. It just, everything was fine on that sense. How have you guys found the split between online and physical has now shifted? Is it almost 100% of your business? No, our food service is slowly coming back as things reopen. I mean, obviously we haven't got, you know, quite, we still don't have Qantas back on board and some of the other big guys, but slowly, slowly it's, it's coming back. It's probably um, about 50-50 at the moment for us. So when they went into lockdown, nearly 100% of our orders, except what was going to shops, was online. Mm. And then we had the bakeries still going. So if you just take away the bakeries, because we do butter sheets and, you know, all the things for bakery, from our business point of view, it was nearly 100%. Uh, and then once the easing off of the restrictions happened, like now, we found that the online just almost went down to like 20%. So we were doing a thousand packs a week. Now we're only doing 200. But interesting enough, when Melbourne went into lockdown this week, we've had a massive spike. Like we're up to like four, <laughs> 500 orders. Look at Myrna's grin. <laughs> Myrna, how are your online orders this week? <laughs> They're really good. Really, really good. Yeah. Like, like there's, I'm not rubbing anyone's face in it. I'm just saying there's a silver lining. Absolutely. And I guess this conversation is about finding that silver lining in the worst of situations. So we got to a point where there was, there was actually, if you remember the, in the midst of the lockdown, I guess what people in Melbourne are going through now, there's nothing you can do. You just work and go home. You work and go home. You don't talk to anyone. It's just phone and Zoom. And our area here was like a ghost town. And we would come in and work and then go home. So, I mean, that's horrible, right? Mm. But then you're so busy that you're not really thinking about anything else except trying to get orders out. You know, doing those 16-hour days. We felt like a startup. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely did. I think that the silver linings are one of the most exciting parts of this because you might not have chosen to learn it in the way that you had to learn it, but given that you can't change the fact that the pandemic happened, you might as well take some learnings out of it as you look to the future. And I love that the boxes were so successful that you guys have you added more limited edition boxes to the mix because the demand yeah. just kept going. And 
I think a lot of other small to medium businesses are a bit scared or have until now been a bit scared of shifting from sort of retail to e-tail or from working alone to partnerships. They get they get quite scared of those new structures. But this has forced a lot of us into realizing there are things that we discovered during the pandemic that we'll keep doing after the pandemic. Like there must be learnings that you'll take on in a post-COVID world. So what are some of the things you think you'll keep? Do you think since you've gone so hard at online now and you've seen how big it can grow that that will stay part of your business? Will you keep working in partnership together once everything goes back to normal? What do you think you'll keep from the learnings? I think we would, yeah, we'll continue working together. Do you think we'll continue working together? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm sort of wondering, how do I break the news to Myrna? I'm taking her profits off the website. Yeah. <laughs> we're breaking up, babe. Yeah, yeah, we're... Myrna, we're going to have to take the crumpets off the website and Myrna's going to, you know, that's going to be an interesting uh, conversation, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think the biggest learning I took out of it, and I know this is going to sound like a total cliche, anything is possible. Remembering that moment on the 24th and where we are today and what we've done through it, the best thing we ever did is we said, throw everything we have at it. So we watched other people just cut back on marketing, cut back on PR, not engage with anyone, just go, oh shit, what am I going to do? No, we went, throw everything you've got. So if we had say a hundred thousand in the next 12 months to, to spend on marketing, throw it at it, throw everything we had at it. And that, I think that paid off. Yeah, I think so too, definitely. And the customer engaging, I think the customers liked it because they felt like we were engaging with them and yeah. they were engaging with us. So I think that that's what I got out of it. I think I, I really like that customer interaction because you don't, you don't get that, you know, all the time. So I think the fact that people were telling us their stories, why they're sending this pack to their mum or yeah, why yeah, they're sending. Yeah. So people were sharing their stories with us. I was sharing what, what they were going through. And I think that was really... Um, that was really good. Yeah, that, that made it all worthwhile. The running around, the stress, the sleepless nights. You look like you're going to cry. <laughs> I mean, Myrna, Myrna and I had this idea that we're going to do a crumpet pack with a creme fraiche and a stewed rhubarb, right? <gasps> and we did it. That was one of our first ones because we didn't... So we went out trying to go, oh, we want to do a jam. But how are you going to get 1,000 jams or 2,000 jams in, like, a drop of a hat. So we managed to get a jam from a friend of ours, David Bitton, and then we thought, no, no, we need the rhubarb. So we're running over to the fruit shop, we're getting <laughs> rhubarb, we're going down to the markets at Flemington, we're getting rhubarb, then we're stewing the rhubarb, then we're making it fresh. It only has a 10-day shelf life. Absolutely crazy. But it was a huge success. Yeah, the rhubarb was a big success. success. Yeah. But would you do the rhubarb again? No. no. <laughs> you do rhubarb so there's learnings about what you will take out and learnings about what you won't take with you out of COVID. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta also think of your ability. So at the start we were just in a state of mind where just make it work. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just make it work. Put everything into it. So everything. If yeah. a man being here twenty hours a day, we were here twenty we hours. We were here. Day. We were yeah. here. And all and all our team, like yeah. credit to them, mm. they were here for twenty hours a day. We didn't have one day off, you know, besides weekends, obviously, but it was... Well, we weren't off on weekends. Yeah. We were running you were around finding getting... rhubarb. Yeah, finding rhubarb. Finding the next best thing, yeah. Well, it is almost like going back into that very early startup mentality of just scramble until you figure out something that sticks. Yeah. But that's, yeah. I think, why it's been such an exciting time for businesses and the best innovations have come out of it, because you do 
drop what you know, you drop trying to reverse engineer things and perfect them and spend, you know, I think sometimes a shakeup isn't a bad thing. And it looks like you guys have found a wonderful partnership out of that. Uh, it's been wonderful to hear about it. And I'm so happy for you guys with the success that you've had. Thank you. Where can we find you both? For the people who do want to jump on your online store from all over everywhere and grab some Pepisaya and Myrna magic? Uh, online, yes, of course, on our online <laughs> stores. And if you're in Sydney, we're at North Sydney Markets. Carriage Works in the next couple of months when it comes back, we'll be back there. And our factory in Karimba is open to the public as well. Oh, so people can come and visit you guys, literally. You can come, but pending yeah. restrictions, obviously. We, we have to say that now after, yeah. you know, oh, we're at this address open from, you know, 7 till 3.30, but pending restrictions. Yeah. Because during the pandemic, we did click and collect. Oh. So people would ring up wanting to come and we'd say, yep, when you get here, call us and we'll run it out to like you. Like the drive-through. So, drive-through. Oh, so, so. <laughs> drive-through crumpets drive and rhubarb. Amazing. <laughs> Is that on brand, drive-through? So on brand. <laughs> so on brand. And um, for us, you just best thing is pepisaya.com.au. It's got everything there, all our markets, online store. But the great thing about it is what we sell online, you can't get anywhere else. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining, guys. It's been wonderful to chat. And everyone listening, make sure you tune in every fortnight to join PayPal and myself for more of The Adaptables. <laughs>